Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast. Thanks for joining us today. It's the 8th of May and on this day in Christian history, we're going to be looking at the theme of resilience. And we go back to the year 1786 and we travel to France where Jean Vianney was born. His life as a priest, rebuilding the spiritual life of many people in the ashes of terror and mob rule, led him to be declared the patron saint of priests 75 years after his death. France was in a time of great turmoil and transition. Only three years after John was born, the French Revolution had begun with a general assembly representing the three estates of the realm, the clergy, first estate, the nobility, the second estate, and the commoners, the third estate. And this third estate formed the National Assembly and the abolition of the Ancien Regime, the church and the monarchy, was precipitated by the storming of the Bastille, a fortress which acted as a royal prison in the heart of Paris. A draft constitution was prepared with the title of the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen. And it had been inspired by the American Declaration of Independence, which had been written 13 years earlier. The author of the new constitution, Lafayette, was assisted by Thomas Jefferson. And it was seen as a shift from the feudal world into the emerging modern world and soon led to the cancellation of tithes that were due to the church and feudal dues to aristocratic landowners. Church property was confiscated and the state assumed responsibilities such as playing the clergy, caring for the poor, the sick and the orphaned. Religious orders and monasteries were dissolved and monks and nuns were encouraged to return to private life. The clergy were required to swear loyalty to the new civil constitution. But only 24% complied. As this civil constitution denied the Pope authority over the French church, the majority refused. Popular resistance against state interference was strong, particularly in Normandy, Brittany and the Vendée, where the civil population turned against the revolution. The architects of the revolution were attempting to rewrite society, replacing the monarchy with the French First Republic, and they introduced a new calendar, with 1792 becoming year one. In effect, this was an attempt to de-Christianise France, but it underestimated the depth of the roots of Christianity. In October 1793, the calendar was replaced and festivals of liberty, reason and the supreme being were scheduled. New forms of moral religion emerged, 
including the deistic cult of the supreme being and the atheistic cult of reason. By Easter 1794, few of France's 40,000 churches remained open. Many had been closed, sold, destroyed or converted to other uses. The revolution had entered the phase described by many people as the terror. As mob rule was accelerating. And in order to deal with the growing number of counter-revolutionaries, the guillotine was invented by a physician as a quicker, more efficient and more distinctive form of execution. Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotine was instrumental in passing a law that required all sentences of death to be carried out by means of a machine. This was done so that the privilege of execution by decapitation would no longer be confined to the nobles and the process of execution would be as painless as possible. In reality, it unleashed a vengeance. Louis XVI was beheaded as the last king of France with Marie Antoinette. In his final months, the king was referred to as citizen Louis Capet. The reign of terror began as a cynical way to harness revolutionary further, but quickly degenerated into the settlement of personal grievances. An interesting cultural phenomenon took place. Victims of revolutionary violence, whether religious or not, were popularly treated as Christian martyrs. And the places where they were killed became pilgrimage destinations. The guillotine soon became a popular entertainment that attracted great crowds of spectators. Vendors sold programmes listing the names of those scheduled to die. Many people came day after day and vied for the best locations from which to observe the proceedings. Parents often brought their children. However, by the end of the terror, after an estimated 17,000 people had been decapitated by the guillotine, including many of the early revolutionary leaders, including the infamous Maximilian Robespierre, the crowds had thinned drastically. By the end, repetition had staled even this most grisly of entertainments, and chillingly, the audiences had grown bored. The anti-clerical terror form forced many priests to hide from the regime in order to carry out their sacramental duties. The Vianes travelled to distant farms to attend mass celebrated by priests on the run. Realising that such priests risked their lives day after day, a young Jean began to look on them as heroes. He would receive his first communion catechism in a private home by two nuns whose communities had been dissolved by, during the revolution. 
and he made his first communion at the age of 13 in a neighbour's kitchen during the Mass. The windows were covered so that the light of the candles could not be seen from the outside. In 1802, the church was re-established by Napoleon Bonaparte, resulting in religious peace throughout the country and culminating in a concordat, a legal agreement between church and state. By this time, Vianney longed for an education and he was 20 when his father allowed him to leave the farm to be taught at a presbytery school in a neighbouring village. Viani struggled especially with Latin, since his education had been so interrupted by the French Revolution. But after a lengthy battle with books, he was ordained, and in 1818 he was appointed a parish priest in the town of Ars, with 230 inhabitants. As parish priest, as curé, Vianney realised that the the revolution's aftermath had resulted in widespread religious ignorance and indifference. And at the time, Sundays in rural areas were spent working in the fields or dancing and drinking in taverns. Pastorally committed, zealous and inventive, He established La Providence, a home for girls. And he became famous for his work, particularly as a confessor, as he would spend up to 11 to 12 hours daily in winter reconciling people with God. In the summer months, this time increased to 16 hours. The Cure of Ars became known internationally. And people from distant places began travelling to consult him as early as 1827. By the time he had been in the parish 30 years, the number of pilgrims had reached 20,000 a year. During the last 10 years of his life, he spent 16 to 18 hours a day in the confessional. Many stories were told about his uncanny knowledge and this only led to more people seeking him out if you're interested to find out more about cardiognosis see the podcast of april 12th jean vianney died at the age of 73 and the local bishop presided over his funeral with 300 priests and more than 6,000 people in attendance In 1959, to commemorate the centenary of Jean Vianney's death, Pope John XXIII issued the encyclical letter Sacerdoti Nostri Primordia. Pope John Paul II visited the town of Ars in person in 1986 in connection with the bicentenary of Vianney's birth and referred to him as a rare example of a pastor acutely aware of his responsibilities. And in honour of his 150th anniversary of his death, Pope Benedict XVI declared the year of a priest.
November 2018, Vianney's incorrupt heart was transported to the United States for a six-month-wide tour. The promotional material accompanying the relic to explain this unusual tradition, often in areas where there would be widespread suspicion of such Roman practices, said, The heart receives special veneration because in scripture it is considered to be a person's hidden centre of emotional, intellectual and moral activity. St. John Vianney is said to have lived his life according to the heart of Christ and united his heart to Christ's. Incorruptibility was another rare sign of holiness, where the body does not suffer the usual forms of decay after death. And again, if you're interested in this, see the podcast of February the 15th for more information. By the end of the tour, the relic had travelled almost 36,000 miles one and a half times the circumference of of the earth and was available for over 1,200 hours of public veneration and huge numbers had visited. That's all from the Pearl of Great Price today. Join us tomorrow if you can as we look at the execution of Aldo Moro, Italy's longest serving Prime Minister and a close friend of Pope Paul VI. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Please subscribe and leave a comment on the blog if you have time at www.pogp.net. And if you'd like to respond directly, then email the show on pogppod at gmail.com. Have a lovely day wherever you are, and thanks for listening.